Hello, hello, hello. All right, here we are live. Um, so uh, this is uh, the Texas Real Estate and Finance Podcast. My name is Mike Mills, and I am a mortgage banker here in the DFW area. And my team and I focus on helping local agents grow their business by providing insight to insights to all aspects of real estate. Uh, we can show you how to better market yourself, provide referrals to great real estate related vendors in the area that'll help take amazing care of your clients and provide some simple tips and tricks to streamline your business so you can help get more buyers and sellers. So if you'd like to have a conversation about your business and what we can do to help, please don't hesitate to reach out. And of course, if you have any buyers needing to get pre-approved to purchase a home, we'd love to take great care of them as well. But Today, we are bringing back uh, what I would call the OG contributor to the podcast, and that is Mr. Conrad Jackson. And we got we got cheers and applause. Got cheers. Applause. I know. I just got some Fancy. serious production value, man. Yeah, serious yeah. production value. So Sponsorships is the last time I got here. <laughs> That's right. Nice. So um, if you didn't already know, uh, Conrad's a realtor. Um, he's got, is it almost 20? Is it over 20 years experience at this point? I know you're uh, young, but you started so damn young. 18. 18. 18. 18. So We're almost 20 years. Door. We can yeah. round up. Yeah, we can round up, say it's <laughs> almost 20. But uh, so he's uh, been a realtor for almost 20 years. Um, he's also a home builder. Um, he's a real estate investor. He does real estate investment training. He develops land. Um, basically, if there's anything related to real estate, he's doing it or has done it before. So I always get a ton of information from him uh, when we're when he comes in to visit with me. And if you're currently investing in real estate or looking to invest, um, this is your real estate Yoda. So uh, what's up, man? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing yeah? good. Doing good. Feeling good. Just happy right now. It's a great time to be in real estate. Yes, it is. Uh, especially, I would imagine, too, on the investment side, um, it's a good time to be involved simply because, like we, we talked about this a little bit last time, but you know, whenever the market's down as it has been, although it's starting to change quite a bit, um, you tend to have opportunities to get properties at a good price and, and under a good situation, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, it's one of those where there's, there's deal flow out there, which is one thing that we've been kind of lacking and, and the deal flow that we were getting, um, the numbers were so high, the deals just didn't make sense. They weren't really deals. It was right. more just like flow, it went right. deal flow. Right. Uh, but now you're starting to see a lot more, um, Deals come across the table, a lot more motivated sellers, mm -hmm. uh, which means can translate into good buying opportunities. And as a real estate investor, you make money when you buy. Right. So um, there's there's some good stuff out there. If you're really opening your eyes and looking, it's all around us. And mm -hmm. I mean, just this past you know couple of weeks, two or three weeks, I've gotten a seven house package and a 12 house package. You know, what do you, okay. So what does that mean? Seven house package and 12 house package. So, so a lot of times you get, um, you know, investors or just owners who own multiple properties, yeah. right. And in the, in the previous market, you know, you would get a property here, property there, two properties here, two properties there. Well, I've had somebody actually come to me in with seven properties and say, Hey, I'm going to sell this office package. Okay. So just so one lump, one, one lump, lump sale. Hey, make me an offer. Okay. Um, and that just happened to me a couple of days ago with another one that's 12 houses. So, um, there's, there's, opportunities out there that yeah. haven't been coming our way over the last, over the recent years. So you just got to be ready. Well, I read something the other day, um, slide that way just a little bit. I want to get you better. There we go. There we go. Get you right in the middle there. Um, I read something the other day as a, as an article in the star telegram, I made a thing about it this morning. Um, but the, they were talking about companies and institutional investors buying up homes in the area. And like yeah. Tarrant County was like third in the country yeah. for it's like one out of every two homes was bought by an, by an investor, essentially, whether it be a large company or a small individual like yourself. Yeah. And there was some uh, properties in Eagle mountain Lake, 
or over by Eagle Mountain Lake, I should say. And it was like, I want to say it was like 15 houses that they'd put together and they had listed the sale price for like, you know, $2.5 million or something like that. Yeah. And it was just purely for investors. And that was it. Um, it was, you know, there, an individual wasn't going to be able to buy that house. It was purely investors. And that's who, the only place they were selling to, yeah. you know, and they, they're not calling me for a mortgage like that. <laughs> Hey man, that's it's it's a lot more common when you deal in the off market space. When yeah. you're not really getting those deals on MLS, or you're getting more of them off of MLS, it's a lot more common. We see right. it a lot. We see it every day. I probably get 30, 40, 50 houses that come across my desk off market every day that I look at, and we're trying to analyze these things and see if they're going to be worth it. So, right. um, in institutional investors, same man, they're coming in and they've got cash and they're trying to just get a return uh, for the people who are putting into that fund and and. And it's a, it's a great yeah. place to put your money. I yeah. mean, if you have a place to invest, it's awesome. It's an awesome place to put it because yeah. you get the asset, which has the appreciation that you exactly. can use to leverage in the future and you get cash flow. Exactly. And there's not a, I mean, is there much, I mean, obviously we're both in real estate, so we're going to sit here and talk about how awesome real estate is all day long. But yeah. is there another investment type that I'm not thinking about that, that appreciates in value and cash flows the way that real estate does? <sighs> I mean, I'm sure there's something else. Out I mean, there, I, I guess like a stock that you own and say Tesla that pays a dividend, yeah. you know, on a monthly basis. So it's going to go up and down, but it goes up and down in value a lot depending yeah. on the market and the dividends, you know, you might get yeah. two, two dollars a month or something yeah, like that. You're, not, not, you're not getting big money unless you've put big money in. So right. It's, right. it's not, it's not a huge return on investment where, you know, in real estate you can get you know, an infinity return on your investment. Basically yeah. you get all your money back and it's just, you're playing with house money at that point. Right. Like you just, there's nothing left in the deal and everything I get is just extra, extra, extra. Well, one of the things that you told me too, uh, Tammy says, hello. Uh, What's up, Tammy? <laughs> is that, uh, <laughs> yes. Number one contributor TC. Yes. Damn right. Damn it. right. <laughs> um, but you can use real estate that you currently own to buy more real estate, yeah. you know, and we'll get into some of the financing options, you know, like an individual investor that's coming into the market that wants to buy their first one, they're going to go through somebody like me, you yeah. know, put their 20% down investment property. But once you build up your portfolio and you've got four five, six, I think, I think right now Fannie Mae allows up to seven, I think is what it is that you can have. And then after that, you become essentially a business. You can't own any other properties that have mortgages. I think Not, you're maxed at 10. Is it 10? Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. You're maxed at 10 loans. Uh, but that's, those are just that you have that have mortgages on them. Yeah. But, um, but you have a cap there and then anything beyond that, then you become a business essentially. And then you have to go other routes to get financing. You can't yeah. go through it to traditional mortgage, Yeah. but the way you do that essentially is you use the equity or leverage that you have on the properties that you own. And then you go to private lenders and then they use that to base your ability to borrow Yep. that way. Right. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. It's a, it's a quick crash course, man. But it, what you're uh, essentially what you're doing is you're using the value of those properties or the appreciation and equity in those properties to show that you're low risk to the right. bank. Yeah. Um, so the more properties that you get, even though you're acquiring more debt to right. get these properties, essentially your net worth is going up at the same time. Sure. These properties are appreciating in value. And even if they don't, you're on the books for having that, you know, sure. That amount of money in that particular property. So you're, you're, your lower risk, especially if you're holding on to that asset and that asset's paying you every month and profit in excess of what the mortgage is. So these banks, man, they're they're smart. You know, they're not stupid. Yeah. They understand when you've got the system down and yeah. they tend to lend more to people who understand how the system works. Well, they want to know you know how to do it. Yeah. And it, when you've got 10 properties or eight properties yeah. or 12 properties, they're like, hey, look, you've been doing this a little while. Yeah. And and it's a different kind of debt. You know, we, I've talked about this a lot, but the 
the debt that you have on an asset like that yeah. is, um, you know, look, zero debt's always better. However, you know, that means you have a ton of capital tied up in something if you don't have Absolutely. any debt on it, which that capital then you can't use yeah. to do other things with. It's really hard to scale if you're paying cash for everything. That's right. And I think the issue becomes that, you know, when, when people that don't do this on a regular basis, look at it and say, well, you've got whatever, $2 million worth of debt tied up in properties. That may be the case. However, if you run into financial issues or struggles, then you just offload those properties and recoup the, the debt's yep. gone essentially. Now, granted, you may take a loss. You may not be able to sell for the price. If it's one of those situations where you have to do that. Right. Right. But at the end of the day, many times that that debt you can get rid of it. Yeah. Just depends on how badly you want to get rid of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you want to take a little bit of a loss, you can take a little bit of loss and get it off the books. Absolutely, man. And it's it's one of those where, especially for newer investors, which we try to make sure I have a um, a Facebook group. Uh, it's called uh, Real Estate Rookie Investors, right? And so what we try to do is- I got a little banner for it. Watch this. Watch hey, this. What? Boom, look at that. Facebook, look Real Estate that. Rookie Investors. There's your cell phone. Look is that all right? That. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. That's all right. where you can reach me. All Everywhere right. you can reach me. We're good. All right, all right. Good. I put it on billboards. So okay. We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but one of the things I'm trying to help people understand is that everybody's been taught, you, for the most part, if you've been in public education system, you've been taught that's bad, that's bad. That's Dave bad. Ramsey. Yeah. Everybody that's loves bad. Dave. Everybody, everybody loves Dave, yep. right? That's bad. That's bad. Yes. And then I, I turn around and I say, okay, well, show me the wealthiest people in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. All of them had debt. Yeah. And massive amounts of debt. Yeah. See our and, former president. Yeah. And we, <laughs> and we, they use the, the debt to create a massive amount of wealth. Yes. So it's just, it's kind of been ingrained in us from the beginning. Hey, get rid of the debt, get rid of the debt. And it's like, well, shoot, if I'm going to scale up, I have to, I have to be smart about how I get this debt, right. but I do need to acquire debt yeah, because that's going to allow me to acquire more wealth, right? which will allow me to turn around and pay that debt down right. and get more debt right. and then pay more. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a cycle, man. And yeah. people just don't, you know, it's not our fault. No, we were, it's a paradigm that we were raised yeah. in, our parent, which, which by the way, again, you know, we I want to reiterate debt. We're not saying debt's good, yeah, you know, yeah. because if you're going into debt to buy a pair of tennis shoes, it's or that's, TV, right. Or, or a car, even, you know, vacationing, right, you know, right. That's, just, that's the wrong idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We're talking about, um, a different type of debt, not just consumer debt. Right. You know, we're talking about something that's acceptable, useful debt. Yeah. Useful. Yes. That's a better word for it. Useful, not yes. acceptable. Useful. It's useful because you're using it to generate in revenue, right? Correct. Now, granted, you could, I, I, I think you could make the argument and I, I don't think, I think it's too hard to do this, but you could make the argument that your house that you live in, mm -hmm. the one that you reside in and that you pay a mortgage on. Yeah. Maybe that one, if you want to get rid of some debt on a property, that's probably the one you want to get rid of. Yeah. Your housing expense is typically one of the biggest expenses that you have as right. a household. Um, also, that house is typically bought with emotional attachments to right. it. So there's not usually logical um, spending right. that occurs with your homestead. Yes. It's more of this is where I live, this is where I reside, and I want it. So this yeah. is why I got it. Yeah. That's why I'm spending this. But yeah. when you're talking about buying investment properties, there's an analytical process that goes into making your decisions. Right. It's for most people, how it should be is not emotional at all. Right. Well, and your house doesn't generate revenue. You know, it, it, it takes it for the, I for, mean, you can use it for tax breaks and all kinds of things like that, right, right. but for the most part, you're not yeah, running the average business. everyday person. No. Yeah. Nine out of 10 people, they're not using it for business. So, okay. So you, you brought up a good point that I wanted to go to since we're, I really want to kind of get into the weeds on this a little bit today, but, um, yeah. your, um, when you were talking about making decisions on properties to buy, like sure. what, what's the, you know, 
when you're looking at an investment and, and we're going to be talking specifically about long-term investments or yeah. I should say long-term rentals, yeah. not necessarily short-term rentals. I did one, I did a podcast recently about that as well. Um, so this is a little different. There's a little different things, some different things to consider when you're doing this. Yeah. Um, but to start with how many long-term rentals do you actually own right now? Right now I have a total of 24 doors. Okay. 24 doors. Now you're counting the apartment and yeah, I'm counting places. the apartments. I mean, one building that apartment's a 10 plex. So right. that's 10 doors in that one building. Right. Um, so I'm counting 24 doors total at the, at the moment, I think maybe 25. <laughs> we've, we've such got, good some problem. You got like, such a good problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Forgot we bought that one, you know, so, um, but yeah, total of 24 doors right now. Okay. So when you start the process of, and I know you're not, I would imagine you're always actively looking Absolutely. And, and if something comes up, but you're not necessarily, you know, you're not like, okay, today I'm going to buy a house. It's just if the right deal comes up, but correct. So when those things come through, what is it? What are the characteristics about a property that come across your desk that you're like, okay, this is one I want to look at and see yeah. how do you, how do you first make the decision to even go check out a property or, or write it off and say, this isn't going to be worth it. Anymore? So, so as an investor, you typically, if you're doing this, you know, long-term, um, you've got buying criteria. Uh, just like if you're buying your house for your, you know, for yourself, for your homestead, for you and your family to live in. As investors, we have our buying criteria. Okay, I want this to be close to uh, public transportation. If we're buying for rentals, uh, rental purposes, right. um, is it close to a school? Is it close to public transportation, working class communities? Is it places where there are other rentals um, and other rentals um, are not frowned upon. Right. Um, right. Is it a rental neighborhood? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere where if, if, if it becomes vacant, can I get it rented again? Right. Um, what's the, you know, what's the income for that area? Mm -hmm. You know, what is that average rents? Like? Yeah. Average yeah. rents, um, average income just for the people who are living in that particular part of town. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, things of that nature. What, how big is it? You know, square footage matters for me. Okay. I usually am not buying houses that are 3,000 square feet, 2,700 square feet as rentals. Mm -hmm. um, I'm buying them usually up to about 15, 1,600 square feet max because it has to appraise once I've finished rehabbing the property. Gotcha. Right. And so if it's going to appraise at that market value that's too high, then when somebody's coming in to rent my property, okay, are they going to rent my property? up to like maybe like seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. Anything over that, they can usually afford to buy a house. Right. So I want to keep it to where I know that there's a better chance of someone looking at my house and that can actually rent it for this price and not get a nice house to purchase right. for that same dollar amount that we're renting my house at. Because most people, if you have an idea of okay, I'm I'm either going to rent or I'm going to buy. If I can get the same for the same You're dollar, gonna they're going to buy. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want those people right. comparing my property to what's out there on inventory. on the So market. you don't want your, you don't want your rent being Too close high. enough to somewhere where they could purchase and have a mortgage for that price. Correct. Correct. So real quick, I want to answer Jason's questions he, ha he had here that he put up. He said, uh, and this is, we'll probably get a round of this eventually, but which asset class will provide the highest ROI over the next decade? And he's asking, is it single family, multifamily, short-term rentals or commercial? Just, just off your, off your top of your head. What do you think? Uh, my, you know, return on investment. If you're talking about just straight cash dollars, man, um, to me, the short term is just cash, cash, man. Yeah. It's just a cash cow, Yeah, but it's also the right short. Oh, you got to find right, the right place. The, yeah. The yeah. right place. There's yeah. those things are bringing back money faster than you can ever, you know, put it into it. So, right. uh, but ultimately I think multifamily is the smartest play of, of any. Yeah. 
Um, well, that's because the single family is disappearing and yeah, <laughs> yeah, more it's, renters and multifamily. Exactly. And you have the ability to force appreciation if you yeah. continue to um, help the production of your building. Right. Um, meaning you can actually go into that multifamily property and make the value go up by making the property nicer, adding amenities, doing other things that'll help get you higher rents, which will turn around and make the value of your property worth more. Yeah. That was something I learned. Uh, I had a Rachel Grun who's on here. They do multifamily investing. And she mm -hmm. was telling me that the value for a multifamily unit is determined purely on the rents. Yeah. And the more rents you can get, the more value it holds, yep. which that gives you more equity and income of the building. Right. I mean, that's, that's not even just rents. That's, Hey, do we have, you know, washer and dryer right. laundry areas? Do we have something paid parking, paid storage? Do we have garages that people are paying for or parking spaces, covered parking spaces? I mean, it's just, there's a, a bunch of different revenue streams that you can do that'll increase the income of the building. Right. And then that turnaround is factored in on your appraisal okay so then the answer to the question is that if you want to get cash flow short-term rentals are great yeah. um and you got to find the right one you can't right. just go buy a house in the middle of nowhere and turn right. it into short-term rental yeah or maybe you can i think you were trying to <laughs> i was trying man I'm, I'm still trying you're still trying still trying <laughs> um and then if you really want exponential growth um the multifamily is the way to go because then you get multi multiple doors in one spot you grow the value of it and get a lot of return on that so. absolutely all right. So then, uh, so back to the long-term stuff. All right. So now we've, we've kind of established what you're looking for when you evaluate if a property is worth purchasing Correct. on whether or not we want to, we're paying attention to local rents, how much you can get for that area, but we don't want the rent to be too high because if someone could buy a house for the same amount that you're going to pay rent for, then yeah. you're going to be competing with, with purchasers. Um, versus the uh, the renter. So now that you've, once you've identified the property mm -hmm. and you're going into, okay, now I want to make some offers on this. So okay. what's, what's kind of your, you know, first off, what's your strategy for making an offer? Mm -hmm. Then um, I know you're in a different place, but give me both sides of the financing side that you look at as an investor. So starting out and then where you're at now, how your financing comes across. Yeah. And then, um, you know, what makes the determination ultimately, you know, when you put that offer in on how much you're going to put in and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great questions, man. So, so ultimately, you know, before you can even get to the point where you're making an offer, you've set your buying criteria. Okay. Now I have to actually find properties that are going to match and fit in that criteria. Gotcha. Right. So I have to find different lead sources is going to generate deal flow. Right. Okay. So I'm looking at, you know, a wholesale list, which are basically you know, middlemen who go and contract a property and they put out a list and they say for a spe specified amount of time, this property is available for this price. Right. And they're hoping to take a profit by buying it at this price and selling it at a higher price to an end. Okay. So real quick on that, because uh, we talked about this before, but just mm -hmm. since it's in the context of this, um, explain how the wholesale process works on what that middle guy does. Like just in, you know, like I was a five-year-old, like yeah. how, do, how does that work? So think of it like this. Okay. If I need to find a property, right. I need to go find a seller who's going to sell me or willing and able to sell me their property before they listed it with a realtor, before basically. they've listed it with listed it with a realtor, you know? So ultimately me, I'm Time is limited for me. Right. And so I do like to use wholesalers, which these are individuals who will go out, they will knock doors, they will get on the phone and they'll do cold calling to people um, who they've usually check the area to see if that property has a mortgage on it, if it has equity, if that area is appreciating. And they will call those people, they'll knock doors, they'll send mail campaigns and letters and say, hey, sell us your property. We've got cash. We want to buy it. Yeah. Right. And so what they're doing is they're finding that property 
and then turning around and they have a buyers or investors list of hundreds, thousands of people who have signed up for their list saying, hey, send us off market deals. Right. Right. So what they'll do is they'll contract the property with those sellers. Let's just easy math. Hundred thousand. Right. They'll contract that property for a hundred thousand. Send it out as an email blast to everybody on their investor or buyers list, which is hundreds of people, thousands of people. Right. And say, hey, this thing's available for one hundred and fifty thousand. Right. Is that about how the normal markup? About fifty percent. That's how it has been over the last like three or four years. Wow, it's been high. That's man. that's a good now, gig. Middleman's a good gig. Now <laughs> nowadays, you know, the market's a little slower, so those numbers have kind of come back down to reality. But that's what we've seen in the past. Wow, um, that's good. And I then mean, they'll turn, you're, you're hunting, you're knocking on doors and hunting stuff down. But yeah, yeah, you're doing the legwork. Basically, yeah. that's what those guys are doing. And then they're offering it. They find a buyer, so they'll they'll contract with that buyer or sign that contract, sign it over to that particular buyer. Right. Um, for that price. And then for doing that, they will take the fee of the difference. Right. And that's how wholesalers work. They just make up the difference of it. And that's how they make their money. They're connecting, do a bunch more. They're connecting sellers with buyers and taking a fee for it. Yeah. Okay. They're doing all of the work. Yeah. All of the legwork. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't have time to do that and everything else too. Mm -hmm. So you gotta have someone that finds that. All right. So, so we know what wholesalers are. So you get the wholesale list, you've established your criteria. Yeah. All right. And then what, what happens after that? So then you basically are going through and putting your um, criteria to the test. You'll take that price that that property is available for, uh, and you'll plug it into your deal analyzer. I use calculators. There's some on biggerpockets.com. I use an app called deal check where I'll plug in the details, what I'm buying it for, how much is the rehab, how much of the property taxes, the insurance, how is, you know, is there an HOA, which I'm typically not buying rentals in an HOA neighborhood. Right. I probably wouldn't recommend it either. <laughs> uh, you know, is there going to be, what's the you know chance that it's going to be vacant 10% of the time, 20% right. of the time? What am I going to spend on materials? What's it going to cost me to hold this house? Right. You know, and you plug all that data in and it'll spit you out a number to say, yes, this is profitable or no, it's not profitable. The reason I like to use the deal check app is because I can set my buying criteria in there. Mm-hmm. And then once I set my criteria as an investor in there, I plug in all the data and it just spits it out and says, yeah, you should yes do or this no. or no, you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, based off of what you want to see on a profit on the back end. It's crazy, you know, especially these days, because I, I think about it more and more when you look at um, this is just technology and tools in general. You know, I think for people, no matter what it is, real estate investing or anything, anytime you're having to go through some evaluation process and trying to figure out exactly what you're trying to do, the it seems like that there's, you know, the joke, there's an app for that. Absolutely. Like there, there seems to be. <laughs> No matter what you, because we're like, man, how am I going to, well, I don't even know where to start. How do I put this together? It's like, I promise you, if you just Google what you're trying to do, there's 10 million softwares out there that already thought of that and doing it for you. You know, I was in the woods the other day at one of our properties that we have that we're doing a business on and it's, it's acreage. It's over 20 acres. Right. And I'm walking through and I'm like, man, I got short sleeves on. I'm thinking, I wonder if any of this stuff is poison. There's an app yeah. <laughs> that you can literally pull up take for a picture. free, take a picture of the leaf yes. and it'll tell you what kind of tree or, you know, uh-huh. what kind of leaf that is, what kind of tree it's from, where uh-huh. it natively grows. Uh-huh. I was just like, what the heck is going on? Yes. But I used it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so much stuff out there. It's, and I, it's funny. It's kind of like I, I had a, uh, when Susan and I bought our first house, I was a lesson I learned doing that. Cause I was like fixing floors and putting yeah. in installing stuff and, you know, trying to figure it out. And, uh, I have still a story. So I had the, you know, the thresholds on the doors that yeah. go around. So I had this little area where there were like three doors in this yeah. little bitty spot and it was like a bedroom, bedroom, and then bathroom. Yeah. And I'm on the ground. Cause I, I pulled up carpet and I'm putting in laminate, you know, the, the wood laminate or whatever. And I'm down on the ground trying to cut these 
bottoms of these frames out because I got to slide, yeah. you know, the wood underneath it and they're all the way to the floor. And I'm, I got a damn handsaw, you know, and this is <laughs> 2006, maybe something yeah. like that. Um, I've got a handsaw and I'm over here sawing with my, I mean, cutting up my knuckles, just yeah. pissed my, I'm sweating. Like I'm just mad about the whole thing. So I do this, I don't know, six hours, two days in a row or some shit. I mean, it was just, yeah. I hated it. So yeah. I went to home Depot to get something. I don't remember what I was going to get. And I was talking to the dude at like the, at the, um, uh, rentals for like the, or no, no, no. I was talking to like one of the guys coming in Yeah, and I was like, you know, I'm doing these floors because I'm a guy. I don't want to ask for help. I'm yeah. like, man, I got to yeah. handle this you shit. Do it. Right. <laughs> so I asked this guy, and I was like, so um, like if I'm if I'm cutting, you know, I told him what I was doing or whatever, yeah. and he's like, Oh yeah, there's a, a floor saw. You just get a floor saw and you just cut them right up. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, but you know, what are those like six hundred bucks or something like that? Yeah. He's like, Well, I mean, I think they cost like three or four hundred dollars, but you can rent one for a day for like twenty bucks. <laughs> and I was more pissed about that. <laughs> because this then floor, the actual time and effort yes, that you spent because then I, I went to the counter i'm just pissed and i'm like hey can i rent that thing and he's like yeah and he hands it to me and he's like that'll be 20 dollars." and i'm looking at it and i go home and i had like two or three more thresholds to do and i just go zoop 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 and i'm just cussing and screaming because i'm so pissed that yeah. this damn tool existed that i just wasted 12 hours of yeah. my life yeah trying to cut these thresholds and you know it's like there's a tool for every job. There's, there's a tool for every job, man. We just put in a road. We're doing this um, venue out in, in, in South Texas, kind of going towards Waco. And we put in this huge road, man. And and it's it's probably, it covers eight acres of property, right? The wow. road itself, 14 feet wide, right? And so I'm I'm out there with the rancher, right? And he's he's a rancher, man. I mean, he that's what he does for a living. He's yeah. got boots on top of boots, yeah. yellow chewing straw. He's, he's yeah, a, I mean, uh, just big cowboy name? hat, yeah. big huge truck, yes. you know, hay in the back. Right. And it's just like, you know, all right, cool. We're walking the property, and I'm like, all right, so you know, this is what I want, this is what I want. And I'm like, you know, when do you think you can get an estimate back to me by? And he pulls out his phone, he pin marks all these little spots on the he's like, All right, that's about this much, this much in his app. Uh-huh. And he's like, All right, this much road, this much footage, this much frontage, or here you go. This is how much it's gonna cost. <laughs> I'm like, You gotta be kidding me. He lives somewhere where I've never even right. I can't even pronounce he's just it. Country yeah, as he gets. Yeah. He's like, Hang on, bro. Out. He's like, Hold on, let me. <laughs> All right, this is how much it's going to cost. Here you go, man. That's what's going to be. This is what my computer said. I had a QuickBook invoice before I got back in the truck already. You're like, okay, I guess I don't have any time to think about this because we got to do it now. So software technology, man, changed the world. Yes, indeed. (laughs) So, all right, so now you've got the property. You feel pretty good about it. Um, Is there anything about the offers that, you know, you, you will change or adjust depending on any other factors, like just as far as, you know, if you're, want to offer over or lower. I mean, obviously I guess it depends on the property itself and where it's at, but yeah, market conditions matter. I mean, you got to understand what, you know, who the competition and stuff is. And, you know, ultimately we're trying to keep from making emotional decisions. So if the numbers work, okay, then I'm going to do it. I'm usually going to bump in my analysis, those numbers up, right. You know, I may take it up 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 to see if those numbers still work at that number. So that way, when I approach this wholesaler or this seller, I understand what my max, you know, ceiling is for offering on this property. Gotcha. And I do that ahead of time, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I like to usually, there's a lot of people who can invest without seeing properties. I'm just not there yet. Right. Mm -hmm. But I do like to lay my eyes on it because there's some things that the pictures can't tell you. Right. The foundation is completely jacked up, but the walls are still intact. Right. You can't see that from pictures. So I like to lay my eyes on the property usually for two or three minutes to just make sure what the numbers are telling me matches up with what I actually see. And then I make the offers 
And it's like I said, it's I make that offer. It's not, you know, when you're flipping houses, usually you're saying, okay, well, what's what can I get it for? You know, what's market? And I need to be at least 70 percent below that, you know, on my offer. That's that's not quite how we do rentals. Uh, It's not how I do rentals. I'm usually looking at do these numbers work for me at this price? If they don't, what price do they work for me at? And then, you know, what's my ceiling on that? Right. And then anything within those boundaries or guidelines, I'm putting the offer in on, uh, on that property. And we're trying to see if we can get it locked up. So when you started out, I'm sure you did the whole, you know, 20% down, get your investment property, get your conventional loan, et cetera. Um, and by the way, if you need to do that, give me a call. But uh, <laughs> He's the person to call. That's yes. right. That's right. <laughs> but um, but now that you're 24 properties in, or 25, we don't know. We'll, yeah, we'll have to check 25. that one. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> now that we're 24, 25 <laughs> doors into this thing, yeah. how does your financing situation work for you now? So it's a little bit different because I still buy properties different ways. Right. Um, you know, I, I do use a you know hard money lender, which is typically a um, they're usually real estate investors who will lend at high interest rates, short term, short term, high interest rate loans. Right. Um, I'll use them a lot because they're quick. First, and you know, usually there's minimal docs. They're yep. usually writing them all in house mm-hmm. and just checking title to make sure title's good and they can close quickly. Yep. They also allow me to budget the rehab in many cases if the numbers work into the loan. Oh, into the loan. Into okay. the loan. So if I know that a property needs fifty thousand dollars worth of work, yes, I might pay eight, ten, twelve percent interest on this short term. But if I know I can get it done in four months or five right. months, and they're going to give me nine months or twelve months to do it then it makes sense because now I'm using that rehab escrow to reimburse myself when I've spent money um, rehabbing a property. Mm-hmm. So I know the money's built in. Right. And so as long as I do what I say on my rehab budget, which is a budget you put together saying this is what we're going to do in the rehab. Right. As long as that makes sense and I stick to that plan, then usually at the end of that, the house is going to be worth a certain number. Mm-hmm. And I can take that number that house that has been fixed to a traditional bank and refinance it. Gotcha. And then I get my money back. Now, when you do your refinancing, is it with like a portfolio bank that you're yeah. already doing stuff with? Yeah, I, a portfolio bank. I've used um, a couple different portfolio and community banks, credit yeah. unions will do them also. Pretty much any traditional lender will take the property and refinance. Oh, yeah. It yeah. We'll refinance it. It's, time. it's sure. fixed. Yeah. Yeah. So you can come back and say, hey, Mike, you know, I want to refinance this property. I fixed it up. It's on, you know, short term high interest loan or hard money loan. Can you do that for me? And as long as it's not in your LLC, um, as long as it's in your personal name, I can do it for you. Yeah. 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 Um, so on the on the cash side of it, when you're getting the money from the hard money lender, mm-hmm. um, you know, people always balk at interest rates. And it's it's funny. Yeah. I know you and I have talked about this before, but you know, interest rates is such a buzz thing for folks because yeah. when they're buying properties or when they're doing anything, it's it's all you see advertised. Yeah. It's like, you know, get their lowest rate, get this. But yeah. you're saying as an investor that's trying to make money that you're taking a high interest rate loan yeah. because you understand which we've talked about a million times that interest is not a function of money. It's a function of time. Yeah. So how long are you going to have that high interest? Because eight, 10, 12% interest for four months isn't that much. Yeah. Eight, 10 or 12% interest for 20 years is a lot. Absolutely. You know, but for a short amount of time in order to it, the money makes more sense to you because you can, you would rather hold a high interest loan for a short amount of time so you can get all the works and stuff that you need done. And then within four to six months, you can refinance that into a more permanent lower rate loan. Yeah. But the, the amount of time that it takes you or that it would take you to go the traditional route because you want to get the best deal you can get is not the, the, t- the time isn't worth the money. Right. Exactly. And, and ultimately you're not freestyling any of this, right. the app that we're talking about, 
it allows you to put the interest rate that you're going to have on the short term loan. Right. It also allows you to put the interest rate or estimate the interest rate you're going to have on the refinance. Right. So you know exactly what it's going to cost you. You know exactly what's going to cost you to hold that house. You know exactly how many points you're going to pay. You know all of this stuff up front. Right. So you're walking into the deal with a loaded gun. Right. Like, all right, let's make this happen. I don't have to guess what's going on numbers wise with right. this deal. Right. So if it makes sense on the numbers, the emotion's gone. Right. I buy it. And I think that's the issue that a lot of first time investors run into. Yeah. And I, I should me, me being one of them is when you buy your first or second property, you're thinking of the aesthetics, I guess, yeah. or how much you can make. And you're not really evaluating the nitty gritty of the numbers until then you go back and you're like, Oh shit, well, maybe we, yeah. <laughs> we put a little too much on that yeah, or put a little yeah. too much into it. Or the complete opposite of the spectrum. You're, you're, you're calculating all the risks and all the things that will go wrong that right. typically never happen, but you've seen it on TV or you've read about it. You're calculating right. all the things that could go wrong with the loan. What if it gets called early? What happens if, you know, I lose my job and I can't pay for this. Right. What happens if, and it's just like, if you've budgeted, yeah, stuff can go wrong. That's sure. just, I mean, you could, Roll out of bed and die. Yeah. You yeah. know, but you get hit by a lightning. Tomorrow, if you live your life happen. by that, then you're probably not going to be a great candidate to be an investor, yes. you know, especially not in real estate. Right. So it's just one of those where you're trying to budget and plan as best as you can possible. So you you can make an educated decision on that deal. So, all right. You said a minute ago about the rehab evaluating, you know, what the cost is going to sure. be. So, and you're kind of in the middle of some of that right now, right? I'm in the middle Always. of about four <laughs> rehabs right now. <laughs> so um, what do you look at when you determine, okay, on the rehab side, you know, because there's obviously such thing as over improving a property, right? Too Absolutely. much to the point where Absolutely. it's costing you too much. Absolutely. So how do you, what do you gauge on the things that you need to fix that are important, but without going too far over the edge, yeah. you know, on your, not just for your budget, but just also the house doesn't need this if I'm going to use it for, for that. Absolutely, man. You know, as of late, what I've been trying to do is make sure that our appraisals hit, right? So I try to make sure that I'm rehabbing the house to be um, clean, neat, and nice. Yeah. Right. That's kind of my, my three buzzwords for the, for right. rehab rentals. Um, clean, neat, and nice. Um, mm -hmm. there are certain things that you can do that will affect the appraisal. Um, when we're as a realtor, when we're going out and we're saying, Hey, I'm going to check this property out and, and on the listing appointment and see, you know, or if we've got a buyer that we're bringing to a property that's for sale, we'll say, okay, well, when we're getting an inspection done on this property, there's the five non-negotiables, right? You know, the roof, foundation, air conditioning, electrical, plumbing. Something's okay. wrong with one of those. We need to address it gotcha. somehow or the other, gotcha. right? You can't just look past that. It's it's the same thing on the rehabs for me gotcha. with the rentals. Okay. If there's something wrong with those, we need to address it, right? Um, what you can see a significant return on investment in is kitchens and bathrooms, right? Yeah. I can spend an astronomical amount on kitchens and bathrooms, and that just helps me on the appraisal. What people miss off the time, which I post in the group a lot of times, is windows. Uh, windows for appearance. Uh, your rehabs feel unfinished if you don't do the windows. They could be in good shape, but usually if they're more than three to five years old, I'm, I'm, I'm just changing them right. because they look old. Right. And the cost um, isn't that much. The cost that. isn't that much, man. You can get windows, 150, 175 bucks. Okay. You know, three by fives. Right. So it's just one of those where if you're, if you're sticking to the five non-negotiables, your kitchens and bathrooms and your windows, your overall appearance of the rehab usually turns out fine. Right. Um, I've gotten away with window units before. A lot of the cities and jurisdictions are are outlawing you being able to put those window air conditioning units in. What about mini splits? Mini splits. I, I put mini split on the last one that we just did. Okay. I think that counts as a controlled air conditioned space. It does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's What's just, the difference between the, so, because I don't know this, the difference mm -hmm. between the cost of say a window unit mm -hmm. versus a mini split 
versus a you know a, a regular size sure. AC unit? Great, great question. So window units, if you're just doing air conditioning units, which by the way, you just have to provide heat. You don't have to provide air conditioning. Because we're in Texas. Because we're in Texas, right? Um, but for air conditioning, um, just air conditioning only, you can get those 300, 400 bucks, okay. right? If you get the fancy ones with heat and AC, those can run seven, $800 okay. a pop per, per, per unit, one. right? Uh, mini splits. The last quote that I got from uh, air conditioning company was twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, right? that I was it with installation. With that was without installation. With installation, it was probably going to be another four or five hundred bucks. Okay, um, so maybe now, two grand. Yeah, around two grand, and they they'll get it done for you. Um, I found mine on Facebook Marketplace, mm-hmm. uh, about three fifty. Um, and then there was a guy who installed it on Facebook Marketplace for about three hundred bucks. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, big cost difference. Yeah. Um, but when you're going for the appraisal, those mini splits make a big difference. Those window units, do, they write them off. Yeah. Basically, you don't, people have, don't like you don't have anything. Yeah. Yeah. The, the appraisers don't give value yeah. to it. And then what about like a full, full blown central AC? Depends on the house. They can run anywhere from four or five grand all the way up to $20,000, just depending on is it one level? Is it two level? Is it 1,500 square feet? Is it 3,000 square feet? Um, so the cost is significant, yeah. but if you do invest in central IC, which I do invest in central IC, um, it, it helps alleviate that problem down the line for usually about five to eight years. Yeah. I was going to, I, I didn't know if there was much information yet. Cause I feel like the mini split thing is relatively new. I mean, yeah. you know, as far as it, it was more of a European use. common practice to use mini splits yeah. than in the United States. So do we have any, do we have any data on like the life of those and how well they last and how often they break and all that kind of stuff? You know, from what I've seen in the past, I've had clients who've had them on their listings yeah. um, and they've had them for 10 years plus Nothing. and still doing okay. Because yeah. usually if you're using a mini split, it's on a small controlled space. Right. It's not for your whole house. Yeah. It's usually for a small section, an addition, a mother-in-law suite, a bedroom, which right. one. Um, so they don't get as much usage and wear and tear. Right. Uh, so they last for a good amount of time. Gotcha. So um, how long do you budget for what, what's an extensive or short amount of time for how long you budget for the actual rehab? Because obviously when you buy the property, you're going to have holding costs, which yeah. I'm sure the app probably factors in. So? It does. It absolutely okay. does. So you're going to have some holding costs there because you're not going to have renters from the moment you close, Correct. especially if you got to rehab it. Correct. So what's your usual timeline that you try to budget for that? Usually I'm trying to budget for four months on the rehab. On the most. Yep. And then when I'm going to a lender, I'm asking for 12. Gotcha. Um, more than double of what I need. That way, if it takes me a two months to get to it, right. um, I'm not shot in the foot by being by a time crunch. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's usually the game for me. Ask, budget for four, ask for 12. Okay. So house is complete. Um, okay. You've got all the rehab done. Um, now you got to find someone to live in it. So okay. how do you go about finding renters these days? Well, let me back up. Okay. Say, sure. Because there's one point of that rehab that's super important. Okay. Working with contractors. Right. <laughs> yeah. Working with contractors. Contractors are fun. Man, it can be a challenge. Yeah. It can absolutely be a challenge. So working with contractors is a huge part of the rental process. It's a huge part of the rehab. You have to be able to dictate what is going to happen from start to finish. And I think this is where majority of the new investors tend to lose money is because they don't understand how to work with contractors to protect themselves and also to protect the contractor Mm -hmm. throughout the course of that rehab. What you get these days is if you're a newbie, most of the, even if you're not a newbie, if you're just calling somebody for the first time as a contractor, right. you'll call them out and I say, I need these things done. Let's take a look at the house. You can give me a bid for these, right? right? When they give you the bid, they're going to say, hey, we need 50% up front and then we'll do X, Y, Z, and then we'll take another draw and then we'll get the remainder right. when it's done, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. So what most people who know 
don't know otherwise. Okay, this sounds good. Sure. It's in my budget. Perfect. Sign that contract. Boom, 50% up front. And the contractor is doing good for a couple of days. Then they get busy on another job. It's not always that they're crooks. They get busy on another yeah. job. And then they get called to a bigger job, right? right? And then they get called to another job. Right. And so the money that they have outstanding at those other jobs is way more money than the money that they have on your job. Right. So they tend to disappear. Right. You know, they get you know, further and further away from your rehab. Right. Next and thing you know, your one month rehab turned into four. And you've, you've sacrificed 50% of that budget to get started with that contractor. Right. And they either don't come back or they come back too slow or it throws your numbers off. And now you're stuck with, do I have to cut this person off and get somebody new? Right. Um, or do I just stay the course and pray to God that I can get them back on the job to finish? Right. right. This is where a lot of people lose a lot of money. And I can't stress en enough of how important it is to make sure that you set the terms up front that are favorable for you to get through that rehab. Okay. I give you an example of how I do it. Okay. I break down payments into four phases. Okay. We will do 15% to start, which typically covers the demo and the starting materials. 10% after phase two is done. Right. Uh, 15% after phase three is done, right? So phase one, phase two, phase three, I got 40% in that job, right? I will pay 60% at the end of that job. When I've walked that property, I've signed off that everything has been completed, right? Why do I do it that way? Because I don't know too many contractors that are going to leave 60% on the table, right? right at the end. I also pay for all the materials, right? So that way I understand what I can control my materials cost. I usually right. get them from one, one place, Home Depot Lowe's. Yeah. Right. So I know exactly what those materials are costing. I'm paying him labor or paying them labor along the way as they finish. So that way, if they walk off in phase one, you still all got right, all your stuff. I still got all my money <clears throat> and I got my materials. Yeah. You just paid for the labor of what they did. And then exactly. Right. Usually the contractors don't fight you as much because they don't have to pay for the materials, right? They don't have to put the upfront money down. Exactly. And, and they don't have to spend the time getting it's, it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Usually we'll have those materials delivered or they can go pick them up. Do you do all the materials or do you do like the big stuff? Like for example, you know, they have nails and that kind of thing. You do everything. I do all the materials, everything, everything. So they just show up, show up their and tools work. and work, show up and work. Gotcha. Right. And, and the, what you also have in that is you get to prevent, in a lot of cases, the markup of the yeah, material. What cost. they're charging on the backside. Yeah. I can control the material cost. I can control the labor cost, and I can make sure that this property gets finished. Right. And then once that property is done, I'm happy to pay you sixty percent. Matter of fact, I build in the contract where I'll pay you a two three percent bonus if you finish before our designated time frame that we set in the contract. Like a little cookie to absolutely chase down. Like if you but it also ready. states in there if you're late. I'm deducting X amount of dollars per day. Okay. And we both sign it before you ever lift a finger. So I know in your case, uh, on the contractor side of things, <clears throat> you know, you've got your, your, your build business that you guys run together as well. Right. So you got a little bit of that covered, but sure. in reality, when, if you're an individual like us and you're going out and getting contractors to do this and mm -hmm. you're putting this together like this, mm -hmm. and let's say I, I get four bids. Yes. Okay. Of those four bids, how many of those contractors are just going to go? No, I'm not going to do it that way. 
of the four, typically if you're calling guys who have done work before, and usually when you're calling contractors, you want to ask to see some of their previous work. Sure. So if you've got guys who are reputable, all the reputable guys will, will take that on. Okay. Right? Yes. It's only the fly-by-night guys who won't do it. So if somebody says no, work. then it's yeah, like good. Yeah, it's like, all right, that's the guy I didn't want. Yes. You know okay. what I mean? I got you. Because um, he, he may not have finished the job anyway and done exactly. all Exactly. Right, right, right. Exactly. So it's, it's higher risk for him to take on this job and have to do it right. Right. You know, he or she. Well, and, and I mean, we've experienced this, but, and you mentioned this kind of, but what you don't, what you miss too, is the guy that's asking for 50% up front mm -hmm. is asking for money because he needs to pay for a job that he's working mm -hmm. on before he's your job. Peter to pay Paul. Right. You know, so he's got to take that money, put it on this job, pay his guys to do this job and then hope he can come back. And usually what they're doing is they're coming back, they're working, and then they're asking for a draw ahead of schedule. So right. that way they can pay for something else or pay themselves or pay for materials yep. to keep your job going. And then that's when the arguing starts because you as the investor are like, wait a minute, we're here. I've paid for us to be here, but we're not there yet. Yeah. Where's the disconnect? Yeah. And then somehow an argument starts and then that person disappears. And now you're firing this person, hiring a new person, which comes with its own set of costs because right. that person's always a hundred percent of the time going to come back and say, this guy did that one wrong. I got to fix oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Nobody, if, if you're an electrician, then every other electrician's an idiot. Everybody you wrong. only want to know how to do it. If you're a drywall guy, you're the, everybody else is a moron. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, I get that all the yeah, time. Yeah. So ultimately, and we use, I use, you know, several different contractors for several different jobs. I yeah. don't use the same person. I try to use the same people, you know, same group of people, sure. but ultimately I use different people for different jobs. Right. And so I'm still to this day calling new contractors and having them come out and bid jobs and putting this criteria in front of them. And I tell, I tell people, you, usually if you have a system in place and a contractor knows that they're good and they know they can get the job done, they're not going to argue with you. No. And, and if they the do, then, then go get somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's not just investors. I mean, if you're going to do work on your own house that exactly. you want to pay contractors for, I mean, that's just the, that's the best way to do it. I, I wish I'd have known this uh, five years ago or at least had that, <laughs> had that process down. I would have made some better that's decisions. Yeah. Made some better decisions there. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, um, all right. So then anything else on the contractors in the, in the rehab? So once you've made that final walk, which that final walk is super important, then be ready to pay those guys on the spot yeah. because I'm happy to pay guys on the spot for doing the work. Like they said, they're going to do. Yeah. That means that I get to get my um, refinance done faster and get my money back. Well, and especially if you're an investor and you're doing this more often than not, you know, or on a regular basis, then Absolutely. you want those guys, when you ask them to do a job to be like, Oh yeah, I want to, I want to work for this guy. Cause he always pays. It. He always pays on time and he'll give me prefer. I'll give him preference preferential treatment when I have, you know, something else going on and he needs me to jump over here and see if he can right. do this for him as well. I know I'm going to get paid on this. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and do this for this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice to have a few of those in your, uh, you know, a few of those bullets necessary. in your gun. Yeah. Because you, this one guy that you may love to use, he may not be available yeah. or he may go out of town or whatever. Friends, family members that you know that can do the work, man, they have the best of heart, but this, at the end of the day, as an it's investor, this is a business. Yeah. So you got to stick to business and make sure it's done a certain way to yeah. be successful. That's tough, man. I, I I do. And again, we've gone, I've been through this personally myself where you try to use yeah. friends and you try to use family to, yeah. to do this type of stuff. And then you're always, I don't know that I've ever had a circumstance where it worked out where I was like, man, I'm really glad I went that route. You know, like it's, <laughs> I mean, my family members is, is my main contractor, yeah. you know, well, I mean? but if we work well together, yeah. but, but it's a different dynamic. That's not always the case for most people. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I use, you know, four or five different contractors on different things also aside from him. And those guys are fantastic. Yeah. 
you know, so it's just a matter of just making sure that you have a system and structure when you come in, like, you know what you're doing and you have a plan in place. These guys typically will be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that your Jay Lee electrical? Yeah, is that Jay, one of your guys? Jerry, yeah. Jerry and Jay Hardy, <laughs> my electricians. These guys are awesome. They, 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 I, man, I put them through the ringer with stuff and they just, they're freaking fantastic. <sighs> well, and electrical stuff is, you know, um, there's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of opinions yeah. on how to do electrical work correctly. Yeah. And, um, more often than not, you yeah. know, you don't want to be jacking with that stuff yourself. So Absolutely. you need that's good. It's people know what they're doing. Uh -huh. All right. So now you got the rehab done It's rehab complete. Stuff. Um, now we got to find someone to pay rent. Yeah. Right. So, Absolutely. so what's, what's this process look like for you? And then how do you manage that? Okay. You know, because that's a whole other thing when it comes to Absolutely. collecting rents and dealing with repairs and all that stuff. Absolutely. The very first one that we got. Um, when I started back in 2016, um, we hired a property manager Okay. Um, because I didn't want to deal with that. Right. I'm a nice person. Can't do everything. <laughs> I'm a nice person. So yes. somebody comes to me with a sob story. I'm probably going to believe it. That's right. Maybe not now anymore, but right. when I first started, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm going to believe it. Yeah. So that's another way where investors, especially starting out, lose a lot of money. So what we do is we hire a property manager, okay. right? They're able to come see the property, see the product, and then we sign a property management agreement with that property manager to find us, screen us applicants and tenants and get us an approved lease uh, on that property. Okay. And for that, they will take a fee. Um, and then for collecting the rents monthly, they will take a fee. Okay. Uh, and you can find them All pretty the much everywhere. Yeah. Google property management in my area and you'll find somebody. The best ones come from referral which mine came from a referral. Okay. Um, and, and then I step away. The process is you have to actually, you know, put that property out. So that way, you know, it's, it's listed for rent people. You'll get interest from other people. Realtors will bring their renters or potential applicants. They'll put the application in. We'll do a credit income background check. And then once they've gotten past that, they make the decision and determination if they're a good candidate based off of their income, their background and history. Um, if they're a good fit for our house to be a tenant for our house. Okay. Um, and if they are, we put a lease agreement in place with our terms and they sign it. Gotcha. So the property manager handles all that stuff in the property beginning. So it takes the stress off you. You don't have to worry about it because you've already gone through everything. And, yep. and plus if you're doing it, if you're new to it or you're doing it for the first time, odds are you got a job, you got other responsibilities Absolutely. and you Absolutely. don't want to be getting phone calls, you know, in the middle of the night or, right. you know, on the weekends to have to come fix things and adjust stuff. You have to do criteria for your property management company, just like you would, if you're buying criteria as well. Right. right? Cause if you don't property managers, just going to call you for everything. Right. And they allow you, they, you know, they have brains as well. Right. right. And so if you have one that's good and you, you still have to do your due diligence, you have to make sure that you're getting your reporting and you're getting the information in and you're, you know, making sure that you're staying on top of them. But at the same token, they handle the tenants. Right. Um, so you pay and, them a fee. For that. And these days, um, I believe you have a property manager in house. <laughs> I have the property manager, the best property manager, property manager on the planet. <laughs> Let's tell us about her. So my wife Kay is our property manager. Mm -hmm. Uh, she, she does a phenomenal job. I thought I was doing a really good job with property management. Then I handed it over to her. And the people love her way more than they ever loved me. Yes. Um, they call her and just talk to her, just talk, just talk to her. Just Nothing about issues or anything. Yes. They just like her. And she's there for it, by and the way. And she's there. And yes. then when I show up, they're like, we thought she was coming. Oh, what are you, are you here? doing here? What are you here for? <laughs> like, wait a minute. We, start, we <laughs> started here. We're going to see Kay. Why are you showing up? <laughs> they're so disappointed when I open I the door, when I they open the door and I'm there. So. Hey, that's, a, that's good, though. Yeah, that's a good problem to have. You know, it's a good problem to have. She does her job well. We She, like, you need. Like any other property manager, she has systems in place. She does a fantastic job. It's called uh, Bayou Property Management. You 
know, she's from Louisiana. So of course, Bayou Property Management was fitting. Got to have uh, a, That's yep. our company. So, yep. and she does a fan, fantastic job managing our properties, our tenants, our expectations, screening new. I mean, and she doesn't just manage for us. She manages for other people as well. A lot yeah. of my clients, friends, family, and just people just randomly. She's picking up on referrals. for that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Wives are always better and more loved. This Amen. is uh, this is this is Jen's response. It's true. She feels that way. It's true. Yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, it, it makes it easier. And and by the way, they're less likely to get screamed at because something's going on with the property, right? Exactly. For the most part, you know, at least in, in exactly. some cases, I get screamed at more than you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. So it's all good. So, so when, so when you look at the success of a property, when you evaluate it, let's say you go 12 months out after sure. you bought it and you got a rental in there, um, are you just looking at cash flow, or how much do you consider the, like the appreciation of the house itself to factor in whether or not it was a good decision on that house? Yeah, it's a main factor. I mean, if the appreciation, if the appreciation has gone up significantly, usually over 30% for me, mm -hmm. then I consider, okay, well, if I cash out, will I, can I use these same dollars to get into an investment that will bring us a bigger return? Right. Usually that 30% number is the number where I'm looking at it. Doesn't mean I'm automatically going to sell it, but usually I'm looking at it saying, hmm, okay, we've got some bump in this. So I've yeah. got some room. Maybe I should see if I can move this and then buy two, okay. buy three. So you want to get the equity on the sale of it to see, but but you can also use the equity to buy another one through the bank, right? Absolutely. The yes. bank will leverage that for you. Absolutely. You yeah. can use it that way as well. Um, these houses, I call them lines of credit because mm -hmm. if they appreciate over time, you can turn around and refinance, get a line of credit with that, yeah. put a down payment on something else. You can cash out, refi, get the cash, take a higher interest rate usually or a better interest rate. You just never know better terms and use that cash to buy something else. The bank will leverage the, you know, your properties as collateral or uh, the equity in it and, and allow you to use that to get something else. It's just a bunch of ways you can do it. And isn't there something about getting some of those property, like, like, you know, you buy a house, you get your initial financing on it. And yep. then one way or another, you, you, you pay it off because you get something, mm -hmm. but then doesn't the leverage opportunities once it's once that first mortgage is gone kind of open up a little bit on Absolutely. other other ways that you can use the property itself because you Absolutely. can still put another mortgage on it mm -hmm. but you can also do a lot of other things oh yeah right? oh yeah yeah lines of credit against it mortgages on it um you know it's one of those where you have options if the property is free and clear right um a lot of times you can just if you're putting them up, I've put properties up as collateral for new construction developments that I wanted to do when I didn't have the money for the new construction. Yeah. So I just yeah. say, Hey, let's put this up and you give me the money for it. Right. I'll get a construction loan against it. Yeah. You know? So it's not the worst thing in the world to have a couple that are paid off because right. you can leverage them. Right. Somewhere. Right. And that's where Dave Ramsey's snowball effect comes into play. Okay. Right. Well, if I'm getting rents from multiple sources, then I can use them to pay down the cheapest mortgage that I have and pay that sucker off. And now yeah. I've got a free and clear property. So it's delaying profits or delaying taking the profits from that property to try to get into a better position so you can use more leverage to make more money. So how you said this a second ago, but how often do you actually go and decide that you're going to sell something when you go, okay, I've had this for a period of time yeah. or, I mean, is it, is it just based on other opportunities that present themselves or is it, you get to a certain equity position, like you said, and you're yeah. like, yeah, maybe I'm going to sell this now and get some more money from it from somewhere else. Like, yeah. how do you make those decisions? Usually um, other opportunities is the driving factor, but let's just say there were no opportunities. I still check my properties usually about two or three times a year to see how they're performing, to see if there's an opportunity to go get something else and grab something else. I usually don't sit idle for too long when it comes to these investment properties, because if you're scaling up continuously, then you're turning debt into new dollars over and over and over, which allows you to have more opportunity to get more time back. Because all this is, is just creating money or energy so that way you can get the freedom of time right. for your everyday 
uh, lifestyle. Right. So if you can take one house that's got 40% equity in it and turn it into two more exactly. that are going to generate more cash flow on you Absolutely. for a monthly basis, then that'll make sense. And it for makes you. sense. It's not an emotional decision. It's just a, it's a statistical decision, an analytical decision. Did you sell a lot whenever we were, had just gone through the last two years? Did you, because pr when prices were so like we, at the top, we sold three units, which was our first two properties that we bought okay. and, and they were cash flowing phenomenally. I right. mean, we were getting over 50% cash on cash return from sure. our investments. I mean, it was, it was great. But I the percentage versus the dollar amount can. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we sold those cash, those out and then put it into a property that we're now doing a big residential development on and the return on that, the potential return on that is know, it's, it's just ridiculous yeah. compared to what we were getting here, but that provided the opportunity for us to go to the development. Right. So, so it helps you scale up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just scale. That's all it is. And then that development will also allow us to create more investment rental property opportunities for us to continue to increase the cash flow. Okay. So um I, I think there was a lot of <clears throat> really good info here. We went through, you know, where to start, how to find the properties, you know, once you find them, what the rehab costs are going to be, where to find the tools to be able to figure this stuff out and yeah. calculate it correctly. Um and Tell everybody about your Facebook group, which we got running on the bottom here, yeah, because yeah, this yeah. is something that you started not too long ago. Yeah. And um, uh, what kind of, you know, a lot of this stuff you put out there too, but if someone wants to become a part of that group, what kind of stuff are you putting in there on a regular basis to help people figure so that stuff out? There's a couple of things, man. What I usually like to do is, what thing that irks me is when I see a lot of the real estate gurus doing education, they don't ever give you like real examples. They give you all these hypothetical yeah. examples. They want you to sign up for their program. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's like for us, you know, I don't have anything like that. doesn't mean that we won't do education or school or something in the future, but right now it's just information, right? Yeah. I'm trying to allow you to get the real hard data on the, the deals and projects that we have going. So I post my HUD closing statement on there with the actual numbers of what we're paying for these properties, what we're refinancing these properties um, at, what numbers those look like, um, our rehab budgets I'm posting on there, I'm posting our contractor agreements on there, I'm posting live videos and photos of the rehab taking place itself. These are real real things happening, real projects going on. And I put that data out there. So that way, if you're thinking about getting into investing, these are a lot of the questions that people have. What is a real, you know, what does a rehab timeline look like? Right. What does the contract look like? What right. do the numbers look like? How much are you going to make if you do all of this? And uh -huh. I post that also. I post the analytical part of it, the deal check um, analysis on that particular Facebook group. So everything on there is free. Mm -hmm. I give all the knowledge away. I right. just say, when you're ready to make a move, you need to call me because I'm the realtor who's going to help you get that deal. Yeah. You know, so, or if you're ready to sell that property or those properties that you've purchased, just give me a call. Yeah. That's how I get compensated for it. But really, I'm just trying to educate people enough to where they take action because taking action is the biggest part. It's the biggest part of it. Yeah. Just getting out there and doing something. If you do nothing, then you never get anything. But when you step out there, even if you make mistakes, like the first one that we did, we paid $9,000 over the asking price for right. a foreclosure, right. right? And people laughed at us and thought we were stupid. Yeah. And when I sold that property, I think we netted $155,000. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't look very stupid then. No, no. You know no. what I mean? Yeah. Some things happened along the way that helped, but I mean, it, it was rented the whole time. It paid for other properties while those properties weren't rented. Yeah. It was low risk. And we were... We took a gamble up front. So these things don't always collapse in your lap like you hear about for people who have these horror stories. That's usually 1%. Yeah. 
Yeah, sometimes you just have to step out there and try, especially if it's something that you want to do. And I think whenever it's um, related to trying to figure out ways to generate income, I think that those those type of risks are worth it. Yeah. Um, you know, we spend so much time spinning our wheels on, you know, useless things that don't work, which we're going to talk about in a second with the Mavs and Kyrie. But we spend so much time. The important things. Yes. <laughs> we spend so much time, you know, focusing on things that don't matter. And this was something that, yeah. I don't know when it was that I changed my perspective on a little bit within the last 10 or 12 years of just, you know, I used to, when you talk about the Mavs and the Cowboys, you know, yeah. like that was my life. Like yeah. that was, I watched, listen to sports talk radio. I paid attention to what was happening in the news. I yeah. knew every player transaction. Yeah. I knew sta I knew everything. Yeah. And then one day I looked up and I was like, what, what is any of this information doing for me personally? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. why is it that after the Cowboys get their ass kicked on Sunday when they should have won and, you know, at the time, Tony Romo throws four interceptions. Why is that ruining my day? Yeah. Like, why, why can I not just get to the day? And, and it got to a point where, you know, I just was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm not, I still pay attention as to watch, Absolutely. but the things that I consume, the information yeah. that I take in these days is very little to do with any, any of that stuff yeah. because it just doesn't, it doesn't benefit me at all. And so if you're going to spend time and you're going to spend mental energy on something, at least spend that time and energy on something that has a potential yeah. to make you money. You may never get there. You might, we've talked about this before we go through, you know, I've got a list of a thousand ideas of things that I want to do. Okay. I might get to two of them. Yeah. All right. But yeah. going through that list of a thousand creates another idea for this and another thought for that. And you never know where those little seeds yeah. lead to. And so if you spend time consuming information about if you're into real estate, then find out about investing, find out about rehab, look at, look into, you know, the cost of land and permitting and all that kind of yeah. stuff, because that information is going to benefit you in the long term more so than knowing all the stats for the 85 Cowboys. And I'll tell you what happens organically is what, if you are that person that's making that transition, like yourself, Hey, I'm making a transition from sports is controlling and consuming my life to it's still a part of it, but now I've, I'm into the mortgage and, and real estate um, industry. This mortgage and real estate industry that is actually providing you value to your life, income, passive income, whatever, gratification, it takes over the stimulation that, that was you covered for the sports, yeah. by the sports. Yeah. So ultimately, you're just shifting. And, and import, it's important for what you said is important for investors to understand that you have to consistently surround yourself with this stuff, right, yes. in order for you to do it successfully long term. What I'll do is, as opposed to listening to the radio, I'll listen to podcasts yep. while I'm going in between my appointments on how do I, you know, use creative financing? How do I buy this at this price? How can I get into my first multifamily or small multifamily or buy multifamily in bulk? How do I analyze deals? These are things that are playing, even if I'm not listening to it, just completely concentrating. But while I'm in the phone, while it's in the background in my office, things of that nature, it gets into your system. So that way you start to pay attention. And when you see deals come across that are good, you pay attention and you can capitalize on them, which you would have otherwise missed because you're just not trained to look for stuff like that. It's the same way when you're looking at signs on the road that say we buy houses or we yeah. sell houses. You just drive by them every day. You don't yeah. see them. Or you see houses that are boarded up with grass overgrown. You never think, should I call? Should I send them a letter? Maybe I can get that property for cheap because somebody's not paying attention to it or not utilizing yeah. it. And it's been sitting there forever and you drove by that sign 50 yep. times and nobody's. It's like when you get a call. Yeah. You know, you get a, you know, a new car and you say, okay, well, I got a Camry now. And so now everything I see on the road is, is Camry. that Camry. Yeah. <laughs> Why did everybody get Camrys all of a sudden? Yeah, exactly. How did this They've 
in there. You just weren't paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's, you know, when you talk about the podcast thing, I mean, obviously that's what we're doing here, but yeah. um, I don't know why it took me so long to figure this out, but the way my brain works these days, uh, because everything, you know, we have this short attention span. You, yeah. you can't pay attention to anything for longer than two now. I'm, I'm still guilty of it myself. You know, sure. even watching shows, sometimes I'll catch myself like starting to look at my phone because yeah. it's like, God, oh. but I, I realized the power of playback speed and <laughs> yes. I don't know if yes. you do this, Oh God, yes. but I'm sitting at a, you know, I, I don't go much beyond two, you know, I'm kind of yeah. at one and a half to yeah. 1.75, yeah. but on almost Except for a, a few, there's a few exceptions that I don't like. I'm, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. I don't ever listen to his on speed. Yeah. And uh, there's a YouTube channel that I pay that I love politics and stuff like that. It's called Breaking Points. And I don't uh, I don't speed that one up. But anything else, like yeah. if I'm just taking in some information, if I'm if I'm looking up how to edit a video or something on YouTube where I'm trying to use my software, I put that thing on one and a half or yep. one point seven five, and we're just hurry this thing up. Let's go. I yes. want to get the information and get around to the you next do the thing. same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I usually only do that though on the when I have podcasts I'm listening to which great information, but it's just not very interesting dragging yeah talking, so i'll speed yeah. those guys up yes. or speed those ladies up and say all right let's get through this because i need it yes. i just don't want to sit here for the time it takes right i want to get it in half the time i don't need all the ums <laughs> and the wells and yeah. the huh and the what and you're just like oh come on can we can we get through this let's go but i it's like the moment i whatever i don't remember what it was and it hasn't been that long it's maybe like a year or so and i've been listening to stuff forever but yeah once i, I was like wait a minute i can just crank this sucker up and yeah. then it's like so today we're going to go through and we're going to talk about this and we're going to yeah. and I'm like, this is great. All right, yeah. let's get it all in. Cause yeah. then you stay locked in too. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're kind of going fast. And if it's fast, like a 10 anything. minute video, you're going to get through it in five yep. and you're going to, okay, I got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. All right, move on to the next I one. I did one recently where a guy was, he was basically flipping land. Yeah. That's all he was doing was buying land, flipping it, buying yeah. land, flipping it, buying land, flipping it, putting little utilities to it and then just flipping it all yeah. day long. But it was so boring. It's yeah. so monotone. And it was just like, <laughs> oh God, this is painful. So I just sped that sucker up, got through it. All right. Thanks for the info. I'm on to the next one. Well, and it's crazy the amount of, you know, this, this was not the case shit 10 years ago, you know, yeah. where the amount of information that you can get from just spending some time on YouTube yeah. or Google or whatever. Yeah is is in, is insane yeah. because you could this you would have to pay for a college education kind of expense that you can get for four and a half hours on YouTube to yeah. try to figure out how to do one particular thing and not to mention the fact that you used to have to go if you were whatever you were going to watch or class you were going to take or whatever you had to sift through all the bullshit yeah. you know of, of the stuff that you didn't care about it's like reading yep. a book like yeah. I love listening and reading books but the problem with books is that they're so long-winded that you could condense the mass vast majority of them down to like five pages and yeah. get what you need out of it um but youtube has created a place where you can search one specific thing like i yeah. just want to know how to do this one thing yeah how do i permit you know uh, a land you know to get utilities in or whatever like you can go find that and there'll be a hundred videos on that subject yeah and you can get yourself to be an expert on that topic in about Two and a half hours. Absolutely. And it's reps, man. That's all it is, yeah. is reps. I, I watch videos over and over. I watch the same video over if it's yeah. in-depth analysis and I didn't pick it up the first time or it was just so good I had to watch it again. Yeah. Watch them over and over and over because it's just like when you train your kids for, for sports, like youth sports, it's just reps. Yeah. You're training your mind. You're getting the reps in your mind. So that way, when you see an opportunity, you can capitalize on it. Yeah. Right. And that's all we're doing as investors. We're just 
training ourselves, giving ourselves more reps every day by listening to podcasts, going to these Facebook groups, watching the show that we're doing on YouTube yeah. and things of that nature, listening yeah. to other people, you know, and then actually putting that stuff into action is a lot easier when you've got the reps because yes. you've watched everything possible on it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's nothing left to watch. Let's yeah. do this. Well, then that's when the opportunities present themselves because you're focused on that and you have mm -hmm. it. It's, it's the whole, I mean, it's, I, I joke all the time, but it's, uh, you remember that book, the secret mm -hmm. Remember yeah. that where it was like, you know, real, if you just think about a Ferrari, then you will have <laughs> the Ferrari. And, and it's like, no, that's not really what it is, but it's kind of that way. Real Olsteinish. Yes. It's kind of like that because <laughs> sorry if, for anybody. If you, <laughs> if you do think about something enough and focus on it and educate yourself and learn and pay attention to it, what happens is, is that when opportunities come up yeah. to advance that goal, yeah. you see them. Yeah. And if you're not thinking about those things and you're not studying on it, you're not considering it, you're not educating yourself on yeah. it, then those opportunities pass you by all the time. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really what that is. The whole visualization, whatever. And that's what you were saying earlier about when you buy the Camry, you see everybody has a Camry on the road because you're, you're focused on that thing because you're paying attention to it. Yeah. And that's where, you know, just educating yourself on a regular basis and thinking about these things and putting information in front of yourself. So that way, when opportunities do present themselves, you'll be ready for it because most people won't because they're not thinking about that stuff. Absolutely, man. It's just putting yourself in position to be yep. successful. That's what we're doing. So speaking of your show, though, since you brought it up, I got a, I got a little, we got to show the, uh, Uh, my videographer, man, he's so today we're here at uh, 4235 Scotland Drive. It's a home that I have actually listed uh, for sale for some clients of mine. Which is now sold. Uh, Got to keep in <laughs> mind, I am a realtor uh, by trade. It's kind of how everything with the investments got started. All right. So that's your tease for your real estate on deck. Now, I got a question. So... I was going to the YouTube page and I'm seeing, I'm seeing some disconnect. I got okay. real, I got real estate on deck and I got yeah, real I mean, estate on demand. I'm into, I'm into call you out on that early in the okay. show. Okay. I was like, real estate on demand is not the name of the show. <laughs> it's well, real estate on deck, but there, <laughs> but there is a real estate on demand page. There is. So the page is called real estate on deck, but then the videos are called real estate on demand. So you need to look at that. I'm telling you, man. It's I'm not. Telling you. I'm it's telling not. you. I created it myself. Okay, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look while we're talking here. <laughs> Go look but at it. but tell me about tell me about the show again because I want to oh. get the research team on that. Research team, can you look that up for us? Research team is right here. <laughs> Hang on. Look at that. What does that say? That says real estate on deck. No, the first video. Riyadh, man, real estate on demand is what you see on that one, but okay. Riyadh stands for real estate on deck. Okay, all right, but see, even <laughs> even look, real estate on demand, episode two. Look at that. That was a teaser, man. That was okay, teaser. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's confusing. <laughs> it's not confusing. Everything says real estate on deck. Okay. The handle the page, all everything. Right. All right, real estate on deck. Yeah. So, so tell me uh, how that's going for you. So it's going well, man. Uh, you know. It's a, it's a process for me. It's a learning process because for me, content is super important and I'm just not great at putting out a bunch of content, which I'm sure a lot of people out there struggle with because we have different projects that we're doing every day. Right. So I have to kind of force myself. So there's something that we've put together. We talked about it on the show recently, but it's, it's a way for me to showcase all of the different phases of our business and right. it's going well, but we have a lot of different projects. The hardest part is for me to just 
try to put it in show format, which is where Keith comes into play. He's masterful for it uh, with doing this. He chops up, you know, days worth of shooting and turns it into episodes. Yeah. And he just pieces it together just beautifully. Um, and so it, it's gone well. The response has been good. It's up to me to really try to get more engagement by commenting on my own stuff. But it's yep. just like, all right, I'll put it out there. There it is. There it Go is. have fun with it. Get to it later. And I can't do that. I yeah. know. But it's, it's, it's gone well, man. I'm, I'm excited. Sometimes you look at some of the things that are going on in the episodes like, man, I forgot we did that. Yeah. I forgot we... I forgot we shot that. Yeah. I forgot we actually put that project in. Yeah. That property sold now. Yeah. I forgot we sold it like the day after I shot that video. Yeah. We sold that property. So <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. It's new. And, you know, I also have to be aware of myself on camera and try not to be too sleepy like I was in that teaser you just showed. Like right. I was, so, that was like the fourth <laughs> place that we had been that day. It was hot. I was tired. You know, like so, I'm not feeling this right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Keith is always like, hey, man, you can't give me like, you know, three points in eight minutes. Like yeah. you got to give me, you got to give me eight points in eight minutes. Yeah. You know, you yeah. got to give me more energy. So I, I'm, I'm trying. Well, those things, <laughs> those things are, um, again, this goes back to like you, we were talking about a minute ago is like, you got to just do stuff. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, and the thing that holds people back from doing any type of, um, video, you know, I don't even, I just hate using the social media cause it's such a, overused term, but just any type of promotion that you're going to do marketing that's related to anything online. Yeah. Um, the hardest part is starting, yeah. you know, and, and because everybody wants everything to be perfect. Yeah. Oh, well it's gotta be this. And, and I'm, and it doesn't, I'm guilty of that as worse as anybody, but you got to make everything perfect. And so then what ends up happening is you just never do it. Yeah. Or you do it a little bit and you do it here and there. Yeah. You know, the, the whole reason in, you know, I've talked about this before, but the whole reason that I'm do that I do this is because it's easy. Yeah. Is because when I first started doing it, you know, you were one of the first ones. We were sitting in that room over yep. there in two yep. chairs, just chit chatting, just because I was like, I got to do it. I don't have all the gear. I don't yep. have all the equipment. Yep. I got a few little things and I just got to start doing it. And then, you know, this is, I was going to have you on the 40th episode. This is 39, <laughs> but I was going to have you on the 40th because you've been doing it with me for so long. Yep. Um, I have a little, another little thing coming up for that one, but, uh, but you know, I look back and I go, okay, well, I'm 40 deep into this thing. Yeah. You know, 40 hours, 50 hours of of this. That's a lot. And and I'm getting better at, you know, creating the clips. I'm finding a process to go, you know, some of it I have to farm out, some of it I gotta do myself. It does take time. Yeah. You know, I, I'll go back at some point and I'll go through this podcast again and I'll sit yeah. there for an hour and 20 minutes and I'll mark times and I'll have to send them to somebody to yeah. cut it up and put it into clips. You know, I procrastinate on that just as much as anybody else, but I don't quit because the more I do it and the more I create a process to it and the more I put a regular, like I even have written down in like my notes where yeah. I'm like, okay, first step is, oh, you know, get into Final Cut Pro. Yeah. Then load. I mean, I, I've detailed it out because then I don't have to think about it. Exactly. And the less I have to think, the more likely I'm going to do it. Yeah. And and for me, this is, works great because I'm comfortable doing this. It's easy to yeah. sit down and have a conversation and I've got hours worth of content I can put out. Yeah. But you just got to start somewhere and look at, look at how far it's come. I mean, those chairs over there were not as comfortable as these chairs here. <laughs> We've got like intro, like DJ cut, intro, logo. studio music, yes. like logo. I got my ticker running That's across right. the bottom of the screen. Right. Like we're, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, we're this, up in the game. It's just taking action, which is all you're doing in real estate investments. You're yeah. just taking action and eventually it becomes systematic to where it's, it's just, it's second nature. You don't even have to think about it. I can look at a property, spit this thing in the app, and in two seconds, I know if I'm probably going to put an offer in and buy this property or not. Yeah. 
It's yeah. just, it's second nature now. Well, and, and then you're, you getting out there and doing the YouTube show and yeah. just whether or not you're promoting it the way you wish you would or yeah. whatever you do, it's, it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you're doing it yep. and, and my mom likes it. So and, that's all that matters. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Keep your mom happy. All right. Well, we're an hour and 15, but I gotta, since you're my, my resident basketball oh, expert. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, this is, this is just for you and me. So nobody will ever watch yeah, this. Who cares? Who cares if you're watching? I don't or not care. Now? I, I don't care. This is good. So I got my Mavs shirt on. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't get to watch the game last night. Oh, I watched. I'm sure you did. I watched. Um, I, I will tell you right away. I am thrilled oh, man. that he's here. Like I, I, there is no, everybody's like, well, this, and that. I'm like, look, man, I don't care about any of that stuff. If, if I are, care about basketball, if you are an NBA fan, if you are a basketball fan and you live in DFW, this is some of the most fun we are going to have going forward. I actually went because my, myself, our office has a uh, um, season ticket. So as soon as the trade went through, I texted my partner. I was like, Hey, I'm be requesting a whole bunch more tickets now. It's like the price just went up. <laughs> it's like it. This is about to be crazy because you're gonna get the best form of the Kyrie Irving that you've ever seen is in Dallas and will continue to be in Dallas over the next few months. So how 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 long is his contract? Is it up at the end of this year? So we're up at the end of the year. Okay, right? so he's so, a rental sort of. Yeah, yeah. The Mavs can sign him for the most money. Right. Than anybody Which, out there, right? But they also get to dictate the terms, right. and so he's basically auditioning for his two hundred and seven million dollars, which is what I'm what he's probably going to ask for, right? Um, so you get a high level uh, player, you know, a top five caliber player. How old is he now? Man, he's he's. I don't think he's thirty yet. Okay, he's not even thirty yet. I don't believe so. Oh, if wow. he is, yeah. he's a he's right at thirty. Okay, but he was a few years back from LeBron. I think they were. Oh six, okay. So seven, okay. Now he may be thirty, okay. Um, but he's due for the big payday. He's due for, I mean, two hundred plus million, right? Um, and if he plays like we all think he's going to play, he will get it. Do you think that people discount that dude because he's had? It, it, what's fun, and I don't, I could be wrong on this, but my impression of somebody who pays attention to basketball, but like I said earlier, I'm not like yeah. engaged all the yeah. time was. I've always heard the problems with Kyrie about the you know anti-vax thing and then the whole anti-Semitic thing yeah. and then all the little drama that's caused in the news media, whatever. But I haven't heard other than maybe one instance, and I think it was with him and LeBron having issues, which people have had issues with LeBron in the past. Yeah. I've never really heard too much about him being an issue on the court no. with other teammates. God, no. Right? No, he's not that. What he is is a silent assassin who's not so silent anymore. Right. right. And people will discount his views off the court and the things that he does off the court and hold that against him when it comes time for him to be on the court right. when they, when they discuss him. So, but Go down the line. Ask the NBA players. Ask yeah. the G League players. Ask yeah. anybody who's seen him play in person. You're like, yeah. nah. Yeah. We're not questioning what he does on the court. No. It's mainly questioning, is he going to be available to, to be on the court to right. play? Right. But when you're auditioning for 200 plus million dollars, you'll be available. Yeah. yeah. He's, gonna, he's not going <laughs> to rock the boat on that one. Whether it's for our team or any other team. So we get the benefit of seeing the best level, best form of him ever. So what do you think the dynamic between him and Luca is going to be? I think it's going to be beautiful. I think it's going to be poetry in motion, right? Because what everybody's talking about is, I'll hear ball dominant, ball dominant. It's yeah. only one ball to go around. Well, what NBA player is not ball dominant? Sure. Everybody. You made it to the league probably because you scored 40 or average 40 right. somewhere along your career. Yeah. Or you were assassin some in some other form. Well, right? yeah, he's played with LeBron. He's played with uh, KD. I mean, well, he's not like, everybody's ball dominant. If yeah. you let, 
Theo Pinson shoot the ball. He's you know, 18 times. He's right. going to shoot it 18 times. Right. He's ball dominant, you right. know? But it's mainly just understanding the chemistry and spacing and the flow of the game and understanding who's going to defer to who in a moment. I think whoever's got the hot hand is going to defer to the other. Yeah. I think Luke is the one that they want to push out there because sure. he's a staple of our organization. But ultimately, Luke needs a break too. Yeah, well, that's the you that was the biggest thing. Eight games in a row, right. scoring 50. That was Come the biggest on. thing that I was so excited about. Yeah. Um, is Jen says he's 30. Thank uh, you, Jen. We appreciate that. The research the, team. Jen. That's right. <laughs> the the <laughs> thing that done. I was most excited about was the fact that he um was gonna you can't Luca can't play whatever 38 minutes or whatever the the whole game for an entire season, especially at his size. Yeah. Because that's the thing, it was like, oh well, he's you know, he's not durable. I'm like, the dude is six foot what seven or whatever he is and he weighs six foot eight and he weighs almost 300 like he's not you know he's not jordan jordan was what six six but he weighed like 190 like he you know spry little guy yeah like luca's a big dude yeah and when you're that size and you put that much pounding on your body on a nightly basis it just can't take it It doesn't matter how athletic you are yeah and you need a break i think it shows up especially in the playoffs in the postseason when you're going deep and you're making a run and you're in those game threes and those game fours or those back-to-back or you know every other games you know every other night that's when it shows up when you have somebody else who can go get you 40 yeah it's like all right we're good yes you know there's not going to be any who gets to take this shot who gets to take that shot yeah what the offense call for yeah whoever's in the flow of the office gonna get it but if we need to get a bucket that guy can do it but if they're doubling this guy you gotta deal with this other guy over here well and i think that that's maybe where um i think mavs fans had a little bit less or not enough appreciation for jalen brunson when he was here yeah. because he took the load off of, of off of Luca because yeah. he could go in there and be a scoring threat Absolutely. on his own without Luca on the court. Absolutely, it's a little bit different situation because Jalen Brunson had an immense, tr- you know, tremendous rise to you know his abilities from his production on the court yeah. from you know two seasons ago till last season to what he's doing now, and he was kind of the sub. Yeah, you yeah. know where this guy's no, playing. No, he's going to be in the rotation. Yeah, with Luca, so it's. It's kind of a situation where it's it's just going to be beautiful because it, it it gives defense fits, and I know everybody's talking about all oh, the Mavs. They gave up defensive stopper and long. I mean, look, and I love Finney like, Smith. I love it, but he ain't. Hey, <laughs> at the end of the day, if these two dudes giving you thirty plus, yeah, it it you don't need as much defense no, because no. you got offense, and they got to you know deal with your offense all yeah, day long. Yeah. So it's just one of those things, man, where you just got to understand that these guys are NBA players. These guys are you know potential Hall of Famers. They're going to figure it out. Yeah. They're going to figure it out. So who's bringing up the ball? They're both on the court. I think Kyrie's bringing it up. I think he's bringing it up. I I think Luca's going to do a lot more off-the-ball stuff. Okay. um, Which will low... Will lower Luca's utilization rate, which sure. will help big time. And Kyrie is masterful with the ball. He's the best ball handler in the league. Yeah. Period. Yeah. There's no question. That's well, why I was laughing Mark Cuban was like, hey, you know, we got the number one and the number two best ball. I was like, Luca's good, bro, but... <laughs> He's not that. He ain't Kyrie. <laughs> Kyrie, th- he's probably dribbles the ball better than anybody you've ever seen in your life. I saw a headline, but I didn't read the article. Did uh, uh, that Luca was uh, petitioning for Kyrie? Did you read see that? I heard he signed off on it. Okay, um, that's what I read. That also that you know when they when they said they were going to go get him and saw that it was a possibility, they made sure to check it off his list before okay. before they. So you you think they went to him and said, "Here's Absolutely. what we want to do." Absolutely. You don't think he went to them and said, "Here's what I want you to do." I think he was. The same. I think okay. it was both parties were like, "Hey, you know, this is available," and they were both like, "Yeah, let's 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 make this happen." Is there any uh, any 
any murmuring or thoughts, just anybody that you've heard about how Kyrie felt about it versus going to say LA or somebody somewhere else. Like LA that? was his destination of where he wanted to be. Okay. Just no question about it. That's where he wanted to be. But ultimately, you know, he, he didn't wouldn't go play with LeBron. Because, I thought he had issues with LeBron. Uh, you know, ultimately young Kyrie and today's Kyrie are two different people. Sure. Sure. So you don't necessarily have that, but I will say, man, like, I think that he wanted to go to LA and the Nets didn't want him to get there. Yeah. Well, so yeah, they yeah. made sure that he got somewhere else and he was happy to come to Dallas because he understands what kind of owner he has, what kind of player he has, you know, other superstar he has, and he understands what kind of money he could potentially make. And at this point in the career, that's what's, that's what's about. Like you, you want to win championships, but you're up for a contract. I want 200 million. Why can't the Mavs get free agents? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I look at it and say, okay, well, they're they're the you know the coast, the the Brooklyns and the New Yorks and the LAs and whatever. You know, you want to be in the spotlight, but yeah. I mean, we're the what the third, fourth largest market in the country. You know, we have an owner that's great to work with. I I just have it, but the Mavs have never, never, no state income tax, never been able to get free agents. I you know, I wish I could answer that question. My my thought is the entertainment life isn't as great as some of these other places. That's yeah. that's my thought. Yeah. You know, um, because you know, living conditions, check. Yeah. You know, state income tax, check. Weather, yeah. check. Organization, kinda, you know, organization, owner, check, check, check. Great player to Fan play base, with. check. Had Dirk, Media, had Luca, check. Yeah. But you know, it's just it is what it is, man. I don't know. You think of it like this, right? It's not a cut and dry, easy answer because yeah. if it was, Orlando would be freaking amazing right. at attracting free agents. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, same. Because yeah, you're on the coast. You're, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not the. Yeah, Orlando's not the same though. It, same thing as Dallas. It's we're it's it's just not the same because Los Angeles, whether it be the Clippers or the Lakers, mm -hmm. is still L.A. Mm -hmm. and Brooklyn and the Knicks. Though that's still New York. True. And I guess everybody else just kind of falls somewhere in the middle. Maybe yeah. Chicago at one point, but I even think that one's, you know, they can't drag people in anymore. And you just get to move to where the the superstars are and, and be where they, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, I don't know the answer to that question. I do know that if you're a Mavs fan, you're going to see some of the most fun basketball you've seen in the last, you know, since Dirk got the championship. Yeah. Um, so just enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, this might even be more fun than last season. Yeah. Where are they at right now in the standings? I think we're fourth or fifth, fourth or fifth. Yeah. Okay. Fifth seed. I want to say uh -huh. last time I checked. Uh -huh. And we, we, I mean, we still got a little ways to run through this season, right? I mean, we're, yeah. I mean, we're only halfway through all star yeah. break, you know, yeah, you still got playoffs are months. like in October and that when they usually are. Mm, no, I we like are going to be closer to the summer, spring, summer in, in spring, close summer. Okay. We're I thought that, like in the NBA championship in October though, mm. is it not? I feel like no. there's so much that happens. In or maybe, in no, 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 I'm wrong. It yeah. starts. That's when the season, yeah, that's when the season kicks starts. off. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm bored. My birthday's in October. So October is like the perfect yeah. sports month Yeah, because you've yeah. got football, your middle of football, baseball, baseball playoffs, <laughs> basketball starting. So it's like everything happens that month. Yeah. Um, what do you think about uh, uh, LeBron and the scoring title? Uh, you know, I'm happy I was able to watch it watch it live. I told Kay, I was like, cause we usually, you know, uh, evening time after your kids are asleep is our time to, you know, watch our show or watch whatever we're going to watch or spend time together. And I was like, Hey, you know, we're we'll about to get this title. So yeah. it is what it is. And yeah. she was, she was on board with this. She was watching it too. She was excited. I think that is a monumental record that probably won't be broken for another 40 years. Right. Um, just because of the longevity of his career is how he got there. 
I think LeBron is freaking amazing, you know, and you know, one A, one B behind behind Jordan. Why does <laughs> why does he get, in your opinion? I, I agree, but why why do you think he is always the the second fiddle? You know, to to Jordan, uh-huh. uh, or even just, even to Co- I, I think if you were to ask somebody, Kobe or nah, nah, no, nah, no, I don't. I don't think only people saying that is Kobe fans or people from L.A. Okay, um, you, you know, if you're not from L.A. or you're not a Kobe fan, I don't see a lot of people making the argument that Kobe was better than LeBron, especially not now. Okay, um, as far as what you've accomplished, um, you know, it's it's titles, man, it's titles, and what you do in the finals, right? And he has the blemishes because of what he does in the finals. He's gonna get every stat. He's going to get every record. He's still got about four or five years of playing at a super, super high level, Mm -hmm. I think, left Mm -hmm. in him. Um, At least a a solid three years, barring injury. And so he's going to get all the stats and the numbers and everything. He's going to be this generation and the generation, you know, um, after us, he's going to be their Jordan because that's what they see. Yeah, they'll probably appreciate it. Yeah, that's what they see. But, like, we saw Jordan, you know. And I see LeBron, and I'm looking at both, and I'm like, eh, you're still better. Yeah. You know, because when he got to the finals, he, he took care of business all the time. It's just no question. See, my thought on it was that there's this thing in sports that we want we want the killer. We mm-hmm. want we want Tom Brady. That's, that plays a part of we it. We want Jordan. We want the guy that wants to rip your head off yep. and spit down your throat. Yep. And and LeBron is the nice guy. Yeah. LeBron is, you know, he's a guy that does things right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he's a uh, friendly, he, you know, is, is he doesn't talk shit about other people yeah. necessarily. Like what's crazy is like, he does it. He seems to do all the things right. Yeah. But yet he gets shit on yeah. <laughs> more than anybody for being what it, for that reason. It seems like, I think that's, that's a big argument that you'll have amongst Kobe fans, Jordan fans and LeBron fans as to who's got the killer. Yeah. You know? But Ultimately, man, to me, the 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 difference is going to be, hey, at the end of the day, Jordan went six and zero in the finals, right? When it when all the marbles were out there, he didn't come up small, and LeBron has at one point come up small in the finals, two or three times. Yeah, uh, for me, it's you know, it's once. If you just asked me, he came up small once, mm-hmm. and then we benefited from it. Yes, yes, yeah, we did. <laughs> so yeah. I'm okay with that, right? You right. know, but it's it's gonna be one A one B for me just because of the finals thing. Uh, the killer thing, I don't really. I think you ask anybody when they have to guard LeBron the night before, they're gonna be scared. Yeah. And it is what it is, whether they say it or not. They understand what they got, yeah. and so it ain't the killer thing. It's just our fan perception of the killer. Yeah. Nah, he's a killer. Yeah. He talking trash. Yeah. He gonna he gonna show you what happens. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he's not. You know. He's still when he gets on the camera, he still says the right things, does the right things. Off camera, he says the right things, does the right things. And yeah. you know, if you're not the guy just spearheading your way as alpha dog, then you know ultimately you don't you don't get a lot of the credit for being the greatest all the time. I almost feel like if he had never done if he had never done the whole um, I'm taking my talents to South Beach thing. I think if you subtract that, I feel like the in, the ex, the the image of him is different because I agree with you and everything. I really do. Like there's not a person on this planet that couldn't convince that could convince me that LeBron isn't one of the best players that's ever played the game, if not the, and is also from all, you know, outside views, a really great guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a really good dude gives back to the community, you know, is involved in all different types of charities, you know, doesn't, you never hear it. He's, he's like, Derek Jeter in baseball, you know, Jeter was in New York. He stayed there all the time and he never had any controversy around. Yeah. Him. And that dude, you know, he, he used to invite women over to his, his apartment to do, you know, what 
men and women do together yeah. when you know whatever and leave with gift baskets yes you'd send them <laughs> home in a limo so you would think because that was part of his lifestyle that there would have been somebody that would have come up and said hey this guy did this yeah. nobody yeah ever yeah and i've never heard anybody come down on lebron because now you, we get a better taste i've talked about this a couple times when you look at jordan's career mm-hmm. since the 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 last dance, you know, uh, documentary came out and a few other things. People realized that Jordan's an asshole. Yeah. Like absolutely. he was nobody liked to play with him. Absolutely. I mean, they'd like to play because they want to win. Yeah. But he, you know, he's getting into fist fights with Steve Kerr at practice, you know, and 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 causing wreck between people. Yeah. And then I've also gone the other way with Kobe in that I had I, I knew Kobe, obviously a great basketball player, yeah. but I didn't particularly like Kobe very much. Yeah. But now that I've seen a lot of his post-career stuff, I mean, you know, RIP, but but I have a, such a great level of appreciation for Kobe because that dude was brilliant. Absolutely. Like he was a genius, that Absolutely. guy. And his mentality and, and the way he performed on the court and just how he thought. And, you know, it's a shame we didn't get to see his daughter play because Absolutely. I feel like she was like a carbon copy of that dude. Yep. Um, but I have such a level of appreciation for him for that reason. And I think that time will be really, really kind to LeBron. Yeah. Once we get past his career when he's done playing because of all the things that he's done. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I try to tell people to appreciate greatness when you see it in this form, because you don't get to see this often as great as Kyrie is. He's not LeBron. No, you know, as great as Durant is or LeBron is either. Lucas still has an opportunity, but you know, I mean, you you just never know, but, know, but. but ultimately like LeBron is that, you know, that unicorn. Yeah. You know, and, be glad that you got to see it. You know, Kobe had that as well. And although I wasn't a Kobe fan, but I appreciated and respected his game. I wasn't a Kobe fan when he played, but he's, he's probably my favorite player now, you know, post career. I I wouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just, I, it's just like watching. It's just me though. It's just me. It's not because of anything he did. I mean, it's just just his mentality. Like, you know, he's, I was, cause I see him on my TikToks filled of Kobe um, interviews or whatever. And he was talking about how he used to sit in the hallway before games and listen to the Halloween uh, theme song over and over and over. (laughs) Like borderline psychopath. Yes. Yes. I mean, he's a crazy, crazy man, but he had, but he had two worlds and he, he could, he talked about how he could differentiate between Mamba on the court and then Kobe Bryant, yeah. the the dad and the player and whatever yeah. off the court, and it was two different human beings. I absolutely but yeah, loved. If you watched the like the Tracy McGrady interview, I don't know when he did it. I think it was either you know all the smoke or I am athlete or something like that, where he was talking about the time when him, young Tracy McGrady and young Kobe, you know, were working out at the Worldwide Sports and in, in Disney yeah. Disney World. Yeah, and you know they're going around the theme park, and he's like, man, you know, let's let's ride this roller coaster. And Tracy's like, man, you know what? All right, Kobe. Like, I don't really want to do that. I think I need to work out, but let's. He's yeah. like, no, nah, man, no, nah, man. Let's do this. Let's do that. And he's like, you know what? I'm kind of tired. Tracy's like, I'm gonna go to the room and just kind of relax a little bit. You yeah. know? He's like, yeah, man, go relax, man. We've done a lot today. We're going to lot today. We're like, we don't take a day off, man. Yeah. Like, you ain't got to work out. So Tracy went up to the room. He said he sat there for about 30 minutes trying to lay down. And he's like, you know what? I need to go to the gym and get some work. Kobe goes in there. Kobe's in there, full sweat. Been there for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, 
This just dude been mental playing games. mind games on mental me all day. Games, man. That's why I just that dude was so sharp, man. I just oh it's, it's a sad it's a sad man. thing he's not here anymore. But. Yeah, it is. But I think I think he laid a blueprint for a lot of kids now to even to some extent, like a lot of us are trying to follow it with training our kids and yeah. training our youth. Even for me, I'm like, man, get my boys out there. And I'm like, you gotta do a certain amount of things a day, gotta do this certain amount of times a day. It's just reps, it's just math, it's that's, just reps. Yeah, that's what Kobe said it's just math, just math. It's like that's if right. I do this and I do this and this this amount of time and this many years and this many months and this guy's doing this and yeah. this it's just math i'm gonna be better just because of math it's the same approach i take with you know investing in real estate like if i'm looking at and analyzing this many deals i'm gonna get one of them yeah you know yeah. but if i only look at one a day i'm probably not gonna get any you know so way to bring it full circle hey, you know beautiful that was beautiful transitions all right well uh we're an hour and a half into this sucker because i really wanted to get some basketball talk with you and we'll probably chat a little bit more when we're done here absolutely but, um but uh, i really appreciate you coming in again sure. uh last minute because i've shifted some stuff around so we, so i didn't get to do on one last week because of the weather i had yeah. one planned for that too and this ice and everything killed it so um so i appreciate you popping in and, and being the number one contributor as of always of course um and if you guys uh are you know looking to invest or you want to get involved in um buying some real estate and holding and you know doing long-term rentals short-term rentals you know join conrad's facebook group the real yeah. estate rookie investor has been running across the bottom the whole time yeah um give him a call you yeah. know he's he's a he's an open book got a wealth of knowledge he's one of the people that i call all the time when i need something so yeah thank you so much for coming in yeah, and uh we'll definitely do it again just yep. like always that sounds good look all for right. me as the contributor on future podcasts <laughs> that's right <laughs> see you guys all right later